shotglassdigital.com. Need a good night's sleep? Casper can help. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash RFR. Use promo code RFR. That's casper.com slash RFR. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. It's all about celebrating your love of a galaxy far, far away. And Little Debbie is the fan's choice for all those sweet moments. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio, Rancho Obi-Wan, and fans around the galaxy. DorksideToys.com. For the latest Star Wars action figures, Marvel, G.I. Joe, and more, visit DorksideToys.com. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content from Star Wars Episode 7: The Force Awakens, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. A small rebel force has penetrated the shield and landed on Endor. This is where the fun begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. Todd Merrick on Facebook wrote me, overwhelmed with news yet? (laughs) I write back, never! Never. 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 Now, I don't know. I might be after this week. I thought last week was crazy. This week is, I think even more so, because there's more diversity in the news. It's not just Force Awakens. All kinds of things breaking loose at D23, the big Disney conference, convention. I don't know what you call this thing. I really don't know. What is, I really don't know what it is. Is it, I guess I kind of like it more. It's not Comic-Con-like. It's more like uh, Macworld is for, uh, you know, Mac heads or something. <laughs> right? I think it's more like that. I don't know. I, I don't really know what this what this thing is all about, other than it just had lots of great Star Wars news, of course. Uh, we'll get to all of that here on Rebel Force Radio this week's show for August 21st, 2015. So grateful that you could be with us. We're glad to be with you. Introductions in order if you're new to the program. And based on numbers, we have lots of new listeners each and every week, growing by leaps and bounds here, Rebel Force Radio. Uh, my name is Jason, and with me, my good friend and yours, from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Yeah, you know, I like to think of Mac World happening when I show up, you know. It's, a Jimmy it's me, Mac World. A little Jimmy Mac World there for everyone. Wait a minute. Wasn't that a rock band, Jimmy Mac World? No, but let's make it happen, Captain. I'm on board. We'll do nothing but. Oh, uh, no, it's Jimmy Eat World. It was Jimmy Eat World. I thought it was Jimmy Mac World. I like Jimmy Mac World a little bit better. All right. Uh, that sounds good to me. Yeah, let's put a band together. We can do a bunch of uh, modal nodes tunes or <laughs> just that one tune. They keep playing over and over and over and over and over again. But, uh, you know, Jason, D23 is like, think like Star Wars Celebration for Disney heads. 
And you know what? That, that's kind of a, a broader sort of uh, genre of fan because I think there's a Disney head inside of all of us. But um, so it is more like a convention than it a, is like a a trade thing. It's not like uh, you know Electronics Expo or something like that. I that's what I was liking it too, just because there was so much official business going on. Uh, probably more official. Dis, you know, official business for the company. You know, they're announcing all their TV shows. They're announcing all their live action movie slates. There's so much, like I say, business going on. It seems more industry vibey to me than it does like a fan convention. Oh, no, no, no. It's definitely a fan convention. Wow. And, you know, it's a place where Disney can have a big platform to make huge announcements about all the quality entertainment that they have coming our way over the course of the next two years. So, uh, yeah, definitely D23 is, is more something that's, that's for the fans, but huge industry news often breaks at this event because Disney itself is a huge industry corporation that we're all very interested in care and they about run it. it it's 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 their show it's their show there's right. no question right unlike a, say a mac world where it's not actually run by apple or you know that the, the you know like in the sense of a of a fan convention that's not necessarily run by the actual license holders of the property unlike say star wars celebration which is so but, uh, okay, well, that kind of clears it up. I mean, we started, of course, talking about this event uh, a couple of years ago when the acquisition first occurred, and I remember it was called D23, and I was surprised when the next one wasn't called D24. Right. I, cool. I, 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 I thought that they were just, you know, counting them. All right, know? well, let's break it down. I, I, I think the D itself stands for Disney. That makes sense. And the 23... Now, just, you know, trying to guess, is that the first year that or it was? Ah, I'm thinking 1923. All right. The D, of course, does stand for Disney. That makes a lot of sense. The 23 represents 1923. And that's the year that Walt Disney arrived in California ah. and founded what was to become the Walt Disney Company. I thought there would be a 1923 in there, but I didn't understand the significance. If you ask me, this is really reaching, you know. <laughs> I, I, it really is. D23. Like, you have to look that up to understand what that stands I mean, for. It's not even the year that they opened Disney, but, right, it, right. but it's when he founded the company that would later become. become all the Disney fans right now are scratching their eyes out hearing us talk about this. Yeah, but this is Star That's Wars. That's what happens when you let Star Wars fans into the family, Disney. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're trying. We're new. Come on. Cut us a break. This is still our freshman year. We haven't even seen a film release yet. Hey, we're like the in-laws coming to the, coming to the family reunion. And Chevy Chase's vacation yeah. film when Cousin Eddie shows up, okay? Guess what, Disney fans? Star Wars is the Cousin Eddie. We're here. Yeah. And you know? Uh, you know what is full. All right. Uh, all right. Hey, before we break into all of that news, Jim, you've got an update for us on uh, Smuggler's Bounty. Oh, gosh. Smuggler's Bounty. OK, everyone thought that we did Smuggler's Bounty in April in Anaheim and that was it. And it was a great time. But Smuggler's is coming back in a huge way. Smuggler's Bounty. Me and Kyle have been working on this audio production non Stop. What we want to do is use that live performance 
and turn it into an audio drama in the spirit of the classic Brian Daly NPR Star Wars audio dramas from the 80s and 90s, we are taking the performances that we captured in Star Wars Celebration and we are enhancing them to a great degree on an audio level. You know, we're, we're, we're adding so much sound to it to really flesh it out and make it that completely immersive Star Wars audio experience. And StarWars.com will be releasing this enhanced audio version of Smuggler's Bounty once we finally complete it. We are really working overtime on this thing and paying great attention to detail. It's going to make our produced version of Star Wars Smuggler's Gambit that we released a few years ago sound like a high school project. Oh, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yes, yes. That is a tall order, sir. I am telling you, the way Smuggler's Bounty is shaping up is really blowing me away even. Once we're finally finished with this, I think everyone's going to be very excited to hear it. So, again, if you loved those radio dramas that the NPR produced written by Brian Daly, Star Wars, Empire, and Jedi. I think this is right up your alley, too. And plus, it's much longer than Smuggler's Gambit. So there's just much more to the story. We have great performances from guys like, of course, our brother David Collins, Jamie King, D. Bradley Baker, James Arnold Taylor, Matt Wood. The list goes on and on. Matt Lanter, of course. Uh, Scott Porter. Um, not, no, all right, great. Now I've started saying them. I have to say them. <laughs> Might as well get out the uh, the roster. Oh, the great Catherine Tabor, our good buddy, James Arnold Taylor. I think I said him twice. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it was a great cast. If I forgot someone, I, I apologize. And directed by Kyle Newman, written by F.J. DeSanto. Really awesome stuff. And, Jason, you assisted us all along the way of the production. And uh, it was just an amazing event. But the, the audio production is really our goal here. So we're excited to be releasing that soon. We don't want people to forget that the Smuggler's Bounty Custom Action Figure Contest is indeed underway. If you haven't seen Smuggler's Bounty, you can actually watch the video of it. It's at StarWars.com. Just look for the Smuggler's Bounty live play. You'll be able to see the video and stuff. Right now, we're really punching up the audio in it. And I know Star Wars fans are working on these custom action figures. And I just want to remind everyone that this contest is underway, despite the fact that our enhanced audio drama is maybe running just a little bit behind schedule. So um, we've extended the deadline for the custom action figure contest. We've extended the deadline to October 31st. The prizes include things like Star Wars action figures, uh, Star Wars 8x10s, beautiful color photos. Um, We have a signed copy of the script. We have uh, Star Wars Hot Wheels, Force Awakens poster, a bunch of great stuff. So you want to enter this, go to the great Star Wars customizing website, Customs for the Kids, and you'll see all the deets there. Hey, by the way, I want to take a moment here and congratulate our good friend uh, David Collins and the 
who's also the host of uh, Star Wars Oxygen. A great piece ran on David and the podcast on IGN. Brian Albert uh, wrote it up, and uh, he the, the, the title is Nine Things You Didn't Know About Star Wars Music. And um, he goes on to say some really, really uh, great things. Uh, of course, why wouldn't he? About the podcast Star Wars Oxygen that uh jimmy you do with with david so and all those archives the 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 whole series is available of course at uh at at rebelforceradio.com you can go there and uh and check them all out if you're not listening to this show by the way uh, kyle newman said it was his favorite podcast of all time which i do take a little bit personally but that's okay that's all right star wars oxygen kyle it's all for you well i think he meant you know the whole shebang. No, just... no, don't make any excuses. For Kyle's a big boy. He knows what he said. <laughs> hey, come on. He's a big boy. He know what he said. Come on. No, but I don't, I don't want to take anything away. It's a great article. And what you guys are doing and what David does is just is phenomenal. There's nowhere else. This is like this is like taking a graduate class in John Williams' Star Wars music. I know a lot of you out there, you, you have very busy schedules, and you really only want to make time for the weekly Rebel Force Radio with Jason and myself, but we offer some great programming outside of the weekly flagship show, and Star Wars Oxygen is definitely one of those shows, and it is getting the the recognition that it so rightly deserves. And that's all thanks to the hard work of David Collins and the, and the knowledge that he possesses and the passion too, for star Wars that he has. So star Wars oxygen, check it out. All right. Um, how about we give away some little Debbie? What do you say? Well, we have to, it wouldn't be rebel force radio. If we weren't giving away little Debbie, we love little Debbie so much. They give back to star Wars fans each and every week here at Rebel Force Radio and at Rancho Obi-Wan, too. When you get finished with the tour at the world's greatest Star Wars museum, you enjoy the world's greatest snacks. Little Debbie. So uh, every week, you know how it goes. All you have to do is post cool stuff about Rebel Force Radio and Little Debbie on your social networking networks. And uh, this week, CJ at BubbaBlue71 on Twitter. You know, as we get into the fall, we start thinking about football, and I don't know, Bubba Blue seventy one has a good ring to it. Three Bubba Blue seventy one. <laughs> Sorry, uh, but Bubba Blue seventy one says uh, at Little Debbie, thank you for making Cosmic Cupcakes Rebel Force Radio. Thanks for making me laugh each week. We appreciate that, CJ. So thanks a lot for getting a word out about Cosmic Cupcakes, Little Debbie, and Rebel Force Radio. And thanks again for supporting everything cool in Star Wars. So, CJ, look for those uh, Cosmic Cupcakes to show up at your house in the form of a Little Debbie Galactic Snack Pack. We do it each and every week here because, of course, Little Debbie is the official snack of Rebel Force Radio. I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. You know, with all the attention and focus on The Force Awakens, and rightly so, uh, I, I really wasn't expecting a big Rogue One announcement, to tell you the truth, at D23, but we did get it. They announced that um, they've already begun principal photography. We kind of knew that. There were some spy photos out there. But uh, bigger news is the whole cast was revealed, or just about the whole cast, uh, a lot of uh, uh, 
confirmations of some of the rumors that we've been hearing. A couple of surprises. Um, but uh, I, I think, Jim, the two names that stuck out at me the most of the cast, of course, we have uh, uh, Felicity Jones from The Theory of Everything, uh, Diego Luna, um, Ben Mendelsohn. Um, we have uh, Donnie Yen, who I, Paul is really excited about that. Donnie Yen, who's a, a, a martial artist and uh, uh, action star. Yeah, he was um, great in Blade 2. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we also have... The, the, but the, the two that really surprised me, Forrest Whitaker. I mean, yes. what a great veteran actor Forrest Whitaker is. Um, I don't think he's ever, uh, you know, he's done a lot of movies, but he, he's always great in everything that he does. He is fantastic. You know, he was in a season of the show The Shield, which absolutely blew my mind at how amazing his skills are as an actor. And, of course, who could forget his run in Fast Times at Ridgemont High? <laughs> As Jefferson. <laughs> uh, I always loved I've loved him since uh, Good Morning Vietnam. That was the first time I became aware of Forrest Whitaker. He's going to fit in well into the Star Wars universe, I believe. Yeah, now there's no details. They did release a cast photo. Uh, Forrest Whitaker is not in this particular cast photo. We'll discuss the photo here in just a moment, but we want to run through the, uh, uh, the cast. Another guy uh, for you Bond fans, Mads Mikkelsen who most recently was on the uh, TV show Hannibal, playing a young Hannibal Lecter, but was uh, Le Schiffer in Casino Royale. What a great face. What a great... Uh, I mean, I, they don't say he's going to be a villain, but I, I would assume he's going to be a villain. And what a great imperial he's going to make. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, maybe even a young Tarkin. I wonder that. I wonder that. Uh, now, now, Paul is speculating that um, Diego Luna could be playing a young Biggs. Uh, if you look at the, the, the photo that was released of members of the cast in character, in costume on the set here of, uh, of Rogue One, there's a, a, an actor, this uh, Diego Luna, who's sort of in the, in the middle ground of the photo. And uh, Paul did a side-by-side comparison. And Jim, I, it could be. We could be looking at Biggs. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what kind of direction they take these films in. Now, we have heard that the standalone films would focus on people from the Star Wars universe we were already familiar with, but they were always more in the background. Biggs Darklighter, definitely a character more in the background. But as long as we're talking about the, the individual cast photo that was released, and it's more than just the cast sitting around a table looking at the script for the first time. This is actually the cast in full wardrobe, in yeah. full makeup, on the set, being lit very specifically. Things I notice, the first thing I'll notice is the lighting itself. Dark, dramatic, not very colorful as we've seen in the past with the Star Wars universe. You know, this reminds me a lot of Echo Base uh, in, uh, in Empire Strikes Back. Now, why does it remind you of Echo Base? Because on, I, before I, 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 I eagerly await your answer, but I instantly think of Yavin Base because I'm looking at the background. And it sure looks like those walls are the uh, Masasi Temple, you know, so famously seen in Episode 4. I, I guess what strikes me the most are the, are the colors um, and, the, and the way that the, the costumes work. I don't think these costumes look very a new hopey. 
I think they look much more empire. I'm looking uh, at, at Diego, and he's got that same kind of color blue jacket. Well, I know it was brown, but it looks blue in the movie that, that Harrison Ford was wearing in Empire. He's got the fur line on the hood. Um, also, just the mood and the, the, the color just looks kind of drab, uh, the way that Echo Base, dark and drab, the way Echo Base, to me, looked uh, in Empire in some of those shots. Now, I, I'm not disagreeing with you at all that this is obviously some sort of stone temple and very likely to be the Masasi's temple uh, on Yavin. I'm just saying the, the Jim, this is more about the atmosphere and the mood that I think they're going for with this. Uh, very gritty. There's a lot of grease on the faces of the actors. And I just thought A New Hope, you know, and Rebel Base there on New Hope was a little more colorful, a little more glossy. Okay, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I totally get what you're saying. Okay, so you're, you're talking more in tone than in actual... Th- than location, yes. More tone than, than actual location. Okay, well, I definitely agree with you with the Han Solo jacket. As I look at the wardrobe for some of these characters, especially uh, two guys who are not really sort of facing forward, and uh, it appears to be one guy in the background, they're, they're kind of fiddling around with their tech stuff, their gear, and they definitely look like Ralph McQuarrie concept designs for Rebel soldiers. Uh, you know, very early concept designs with those goggles on their head. Uh, definitely nondescript in their look as, as far as, uh, you know, being very dark and drab. There's nothing really that jumps out about them. Not like an X-wing pilot with a orange jumpsuit and the right. cool, you know, the, the cool helmets. These guys definitely look like warriors and, uh, it, it almost has a, a Battlestar Galactica vibe to it. Am, am I wrong? Ah, yeah, that? absolutely. Something I noticed too in the background, and this is, gosh, this thing keeps showing up. It was showing up in uh, on <laughs> Abu Dhabi. I, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> this thing, it showed up in Greenham Commons. We were yeah. calling it a pod race engine. It's black. I've gone so far as is to point it out after seeing it in several shots from the Force Awakens sets. I've called it out as being the potential MacGuffin of the film, something that the characters are going to be chasing after or something that has great importance to our characters. But Could this be one of those trademark J.J. Easter egg type things? Oh, like the like he, the the slushy soda he has in all of his films, or whatever that is. Yeah, or, yeah, I mean, you know, there were all the you know, Lost was really big on these little clues, and uh, the Fringe was all about that as well. Yeah. Um, I just wonder because <laughs> you're right. Here's two different movies set in two, you know, uh, significantly different uh, time frames, uh, and and we've got this same pretty large set piece. Showing up in both. It's, uh, it's very interesting. It is. If this was the expanded universe of old, that thing would by now have had a name and a personality. But- <laughs> and a, and a nine-part series of novels about it. Mm-hmm. That's funny that you point that out because they, they, they really, the way they frame this photo, it's like they really want you to see it. <laughs> well, of course, it's- yeah. And, and you know what, it, though, it just lends credence to the fact that uh, they're being very practical and efficient with these Star Wars productions. So we're going to be seeing a lot of sets being reused. We're going to be seeing a lot of set pieces and a lot of props being reused and, you know, potentially even costumes. So um, that is definitely uh, a prop that's getting reused. If you remember those aerial photos showing stormtroopers 
lounging around Stormtrooper Extras, lounging around on that uh, set for Rogue One. I, I think we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Uh, it did appear that that shuttle ramp was something that we had seen in production photos for The Force Awakens. Except, if I recall correctly, it was painted gray. And now we're seeing it in Rogue One painted black. So it's going to be a lot of recycling. It's going to be kind of fun to look for certain things that jump out. And this weird pod race engine in the background of this Rogue One cast photo is definitely something that sort of slides into that that category. So I think Felicity Jones looks great. I think the, the cast obviously looks really good. Um, those are really the only observations I have from this this one and only cast photo we have. Is there anything I'm missing, Jason? Well, the only, I mean, nothing I don't think, I don't think there's anything that you're missing there. When I saw, you know, the first Star Wars promotional image for a story that clearly is going to revolve around a female character, my mind instantly went to the initial concept for Star Wars where Starkiller was going to be a female. Right. And so that jumped out at me like, oh, here, here finally, here is the Star Wars story with a female lead. Um, that that I thought was kind of interesting. And, and also Kathy Kennedy's you know, summary of the movie. She said, um, this is this is uh, new territory and it, exploring the galactic struggle from a ground war perspective while maintaining that essential Star Wars feel that fans have come to know. Uh, so, you know, of course we're used to the great dog fights in space. We haven't seen a lot of ground war action in star Wars. We saw a little bit in, uh, in empire and the battle of Hoth, but beyond that, we haven't seen a whole lot. So this is kind of down and dirty gritty. I think we've heard band of brothers being thrown out there as a, as a comparison. Um, this is the, 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 the dark side of the galactic struggle. Well, uh, it's I mean, more at- about the. The everyman, not the Jedi, not the people with all the, you know, the special magical powers. Well, you know, look at a lot of these uh, behind the scenes crew members that have been announced along with this uh, this photo and the, the cast announcement. You're seeing crew that worked on films such as Zero Dark Thirty, Black Hawk Down. Saving Private Ryan. Are are we sensing a theme here? You know, so I, I think we're going to get a lot of that. I think we're going to get a, a sense of being on the ground with these rebel troopers as they try to achieve the impossible, to topple an empire and take down their great super weapon that they've spent the last two decades developing. That's what we're going to get with this film. And it, it, it's, it's kind of exciting to me. I, I get a little nervous straying away from that comfortable territory that we've grown accustomed to with the Star Wars films. As far as tone and vibe, this is definitely going to be a darker, more gritty Star Wars. And yes, a more adult Star Wars, I fear. And well, I should say fear. Um, <laughs> I just, you, you know what I mean, though? You, you fear the unknown. And with Star Wars, when you, you get into this kind of gritty territory, the only time we've ever really gone that far is probably the video games. I think some episodes of Star Wars, The Clone Wars, showed you that you can push it into a way darker sort of 
overall tone for the series and still maintain the integrity that makes Star Wars important. That's the thing. How far can we push this before it then just starts feeling like a video game? We need this to represent the finest standards of Star Wars if it's going to be on the silver screen because that's the home of Star Wars. So it has to be of those standards. It can't just be a video game movie. Yeah, they they talk about the lived-in feel, uh, which, of course, you know, that's been with Star Wars. That was the hallmark of, you know, the... So the look of Star Wars, that lived-in, used universe. But they say the, but they go a step further and say the lived-in, realistic feel of Rogue One. And so when we talk about dark, we don't mean good versus evil dark. We mean realistic dark, a darkness that we can all uh, relate to on a very you know, visceral level. And so that, I think, is definitely going to be a departure from the Star Wars universe. Jim, one thing that really jumped out at me was the title. Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Right. What happened to Anthology? What happened the big to announcement at Anaheim was these Anthology films even had a flashy logo. Beyond Anaheim. It was also present in San Diego during Comic-Con because Kathleen Kennedy referred to it as an Anthology film. We're also making Anthology films, standalone movies. What are we doing here? Are we switching up mid-marketing and oh, I think so. Changing I it to a Star so. Wars story. Did they, they do some sort of surveys, some testing, some audience surveys to see, do you get it when we call it a Star Wars anthology film? Or do you get it when we call it a Star Wars story? I mean, absolutely. That's, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. People are going to go to the think of people going to the ticket office. Or, you know, the, the, the box office at the movie theater, they're going to say, give me two tickets to Star Wars. That's what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. And I think calling it a Star Wars story tells parents of kids of a certain age, this is a Star Wars story. I, I think that anthology was, was really way too... Um, I, 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 I never, it never really sat all that well with me, to tell you the truth. It just seemed a little too highbrow or something. You know, it's a I'm, Star Wars story. I, I like that. I, I'm good with, with referring to them as the anthology series, the anthology films. But the marketing of Star Wars story kind of has something that's more of a comforting ring to it. Mm. For me, it, it, a Star Wars story. And it also gives you maybe a little more flexibility, which is probably what they're looking for. Because this is going to be the first Star Wars film that's really sort of a step outside the norm. And I think we're going to notice it as far as the tone goes. What I'm really excited about, though, is this cast. This cast seems like a group of very capable actors who bring all sort of gravitas and unique perspective to the roles not to mention the diversity not to mention that Forrest Whitaker is awesome so I'm really excited for Rogue One and and, and think about the blanks that it's going to fill you know the, the rebel crew that steals the, the plans to the Death Star you have to assume the film is going to end with Felicity Jones passing off those plans to Princess Leia on board the Rebel Blockade Runner. So it's just very tantalizing to consider the directions that these Star Wars stories can go in. 
Oh, yes. All right. We're going to go off to the sound bites here for the next one. Uh, big announcement. Colin Trevorrow, the director of Jurassic World, tapped by Disney Studios chairman Alan Horn to direct episode nine. He joins fellow directors Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams in uh, directing one of the saga films, which I think that's what they've been calling the uh, episodic films the the saga films but anyway jj abrams out at d23 uh this was his advice that he was giving uh colin trevorrow colin's need my advice uh he's gonna he's gonna kill it um but i will say that uh he is going to be spoiled by this remarkable uh cast and incredible crew and i'm i'm jealous that he gets to work with them because they're ter- terrific all of them all right well you know i the, the, he didn't say anything in that clip, JJ, and he said everything in that clip. <laughs> I mean, it's so typical of him. What I really am just kind of soaking in right now in the wake of Anaheim, in the wake of San Diego, in the wake of back to Anaheim for D23, what I'm really soaking in is all of this optimism for the new Star Wars film that is starting to really come out publicly from the people who worked on it and from the people who are now getting exposed to it as it's reaching its completed form. This is a new sort of buzz for a Star Wars film. You know, people hate when you draw these comparisons to the way things rolled out in the prequel era, and I'm sensitive about that because I definitely ate, drank, and slept Star Wars (laughs) during the prequel era between those years 1999 and 2005. I mean, obviously, (laughs) that didn't stop, but you know what I mean. My passion was unabated, and my anticipation for each chapter of the prequel trilogy was at, you know, levels of mad fanaticism. But... We didn't get that sense of optimism rolling into the prequels. It almost felt like we were being served the company line a lot of times from guys like George himself and Rick McCallum. It'd be, you know, I, I had a friend of mine say to me when Revenge of the Sith was coming out. Kitster is cool. When Rick McCallum was saying, oh, this is the film for the fans. This is what the fans have always wanted. And... They're going to be ecstatic when they see this. And my friend said to me, he, he says that about everything. And so I really got the feeling like, wow, he, he, my friend feels like he's being fed some sort of company line about Star Wars. And that didn't sit well with me, you know. But I get a whole different vibe as we ramp up toward The Force Awakens. And people like J.J. Abrams seem very optimistic and excited for it. And Bob Iger, a big-time suit, a corporate suit, who claims to have seen the movie. Well, claims. He's, he runs Disney. You know he saw it. Just oh. recently, Drew Struzan, and then, who did a limited edition, uh, edition poster that was announced. We have this story coming up. Uh, just recently was quoted as saying, he believes after seeing about half the film and reading the script that this will be the best Star Wars movie ever. That is huge for a guy like Drew to say because Drew Struzan has had an amazing, amazing career when it comes to 
the creation of film posters, movie posters, get you excited for a film. And um, man, oh man, his history with Star Wars and his exposure due to the greatness of Star Wars, I mean, basically built his career. Like I said, his career has been huge and varied and everything, but it all started with Star Wars. That's what blasted him off into the, the stratosphere. So for him to say that about this upcoming star, you, you really have to you know, step back for a second and say, well, wait a second. Anthony Daniels tweeted out something very similar months ago. And I thought, wow. Now, Anthony has been involved in so many different various productions of Star Wars in all different mediums. And he's saying that about this upcoming Star Wars film? Here we are, Jason, pretty much precisely four months away from the release of The Force Awakens. And we're hearing all this insanely positive buzz. It really makes you think, what are we getting ourselves into? Is this really going to be the Star Wars that we always wanted i feel weird saying that because i never knew that i wanted something more from star wars <laughs> right but right where That's funny. where is this next release gonna take us yeah yeah it's 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 fascinating it's fascinating i i think that um really what 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 tees it up for me is you know that these are in some cases these are not facilitated interviews in terms of uh press conferences that's been orchestrated by the powers that be. A lot of times these are ad hoc comments that are you know, showing up on social media or they're you know, uh, snippets of interviews that are about a completely other subject and this comes up. So you're right. This is not uh, company line kind of stuff. At least it doesn't feel that way. It feels very authentic. It feels very organic. The excitement seems on a level that we have not seen uh, in a long, long time. In a long, long time. Um, so it's I'm hoping that, you know, we'll see a day where it's just taken for granted that if it's a Star Wars movie coming out, it's a, it's going to be great. Pretty much like the, you know, the Marvel stuff up until Fantastic Four. But that doesn't count. It's another studio. But, you know, getting back to Colin Trevorrow, uh, this is not a guy that has a huge long list of credits. I mean, his, obviously, having directed one of the biggest movies of recent time, uh, Jurassic World, figuratively and literally, uh, brings a certain, you know, know, obvious appeal, you know, that this guy knows how to direct a big blockbuster movie, write a big blockbuster movie. Um, So in some ways it makes sense. Kathy Kennedy went on to say she was uh, been a fan of his since Safety Not Guaranteed, a film that came out in 2012, uh, that he... Uh, I believe wrote. Uh, no, he he just directed that, but he did write the screenplay for Jurassic World. Is also writing the screenplay for the follow up to Jurassic World, and directed that movie to huge huge success. And uh, I, I liked his quote. He said, "This is not a job or an assignment." He's talking about Episode Nine. He says, "It is a seat at a campfire surrounded by an extraordinary group of storytellers, filmmakers, artists, and craftspeople." We've been charged with telling new stories for a younger generation because they deserve what we all had, a mythology to call their own. We will do this by channeling something George Lucas instilled in all of us, boundless creativity, pure invention, and hope. And there's a lot of things to like about that quote. I like the fact that he distills it down to giving uh, 
a new generation, a mythology of their own, and no one else is doing it. So Star Wars is back to fill that void. And I also like that he gives a little props to the maker, George Lucas, a name that I'm sorry, I don't feel like we hear enough, in my opinion. Well, that is true to a degree. I mean, we have George News coming up here a little bit later in regards to D23. But um, that is a great quote from Colin. And I love the fact that he is really exposing what's going on behind the scenes at Lucasfilm. This is this amazing culture that Kathleen Kennedy has now developed around the production of Star Wars films. It's a seat at the campfire with like-minded, creative individuals at the top of their game. I like the fact that it's, it's very much of a collaborative effort. No one is staking claim of ownership of Star Wars in the post-Lucas era. That's important. That's why I like the committee approach to Star Wars happening right now. And I think Kathleen Kennedy definitely has a knack for finding the right people to place at that campfire. I love the collaborative effort of all these top filmmakers coming together and making this Star Wars think tank a reality. Well, you know, and I'll I'll tell you that I was... I had kind of an, uh, an epiphany, and this might have been very obvious to uh, some folks. But for me, I had the opposite feeling about the committee. I thought, look, Star Wars has been a benevolent dictatorship since its beginning. Right. And that's the way it should go. I don't like generally art by committee. I think that uh, you know anybody who's tried to project managed through committees uh, would tell you that it's a, it's a, it can be a, an awful, blood-sucking process. But when you think about one of the most prolific storytelling entities in the world, and that would be Pixar, and Pixar does create story with that campfire-type model. I, not committee, but if you if you look at and I'm I'm not a Pixar Pixar excer, uh, expert by any means, but I've read enough and uh, watched uh, enough about their process, their creative process, and to know that everybody gets a seat at the table. That many of the junior animators, you know, who've gone on to be senior animators, have gone on to direct uh, some of the films and help write some of the films. The way that that group collaborates and supports each other and in some ways beats each other up to make sure that the movie is perfect, the story is perfect, um, is, a, is a real, I think, model for how uh, these types of uh, franchises can operate. Not that Pixar is a, you know, has it's, it's several franchises, but it is a think tank. It is a film think tank or a storytelling think tank. And so when I finally kind of put the Star Wars story group, or in this case, this uh, fraternity, Jim, as you call it, we'll say, uh, of course, we don't leave at our, I'm sure that we'll have a female director on a Star Wars film sooner or later. Uh, but this, this group, this very elite group of storytellers that, and filmmakers that are coming together, when I look at it in, in the context of a, a Pixar kind of model, I get very excited. 
I get very, very excited, and I, and I think you're right, and I'm starting to share the enthusiasm. Uh, call it Star Wars by committee if you want, but I think that there are some examples of how this can be done and done very effectively. Well, the bottom line with Star Wars is this, and we've all known this as fans, that each one of us individually claims a little bit of ownership for the Star Wars saga. Even if we had absolutely nothing to do with the creative direction it's going in, we, there's an ownership that we all take. That's just like the natural reaction people have to Star Wars and what makes it really so special and outside the box and unique is the fact that we all sort of claim this ownership over it. So I feel much more comfortable knowing that it's going to be the campfire type environment as far as the development of Star Wars because I believe that the filmmakers themselves also share that sense of ownership of Star Wars. And I would be really uncomfortable if J.J. Abrams or any individual, for that matter, took the reins from George Lucas immediately and took over Star Wars. The comparisons would be earth-shattering. People would always be holding that individual up to a standard. So if you are promoting this this campfire rule-by-committee sort of mentality and letting fans know that that's how it's going, there's really no one person that we can, you know, throw the darts at. People won't be making movies called The People versus J.J. Abrams. You know, it... It's it's yep. in essence they're kind of learning from the past by saying, Look at the hell that George Lucas had to put up with. That had a lot to do with George stepping away from Star Wars. Don't kid yourself. He was already developing the sequel trilogy and had been doing so for a while with the full intention of funding and producing them himself. But through a series of events and through a series of major life events for George, he decided to step away. And so now we're getting this Star Wars by committee, which is the healthy way to do it, because everyone saw the persecution that George Lucas faced, oftentimes unfairly. Who wants to sign up for that? And that's why it's important to make it public that there is a story group behind the development of future Star Wars stories, that there is a campfire setting for some of the top filmmaking minds in the industry. It's important to let the public know that so no one has that, that, that face they want to put on the dartboard like they did to George Lucas, oftentimes unfairly. Right, right. I think they wanted to avoid setting up another, another maker, another king of the Star Wars universe, um, and, and, and I, I think that was the right way to go. I think they also, you know, inoculate themselves from the belief of if the, if one movie comes out and it's a bit disappointing or doesn't meet fans expectations, they can start to hype the next one because it's a different director, uh, potentially a different writer, you know, it, it diffuses and spreads out the expectations in, in some ways and also any potential disappointment that you might have. For so sure. yeah. I, I and 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 the other fact is and let, let let's face it you can't replace George Lucas. Well no, you know for obviously. for all the for all the criticism and all the complaints 
about the prequels and oh, and George lost it and George isn't this and George isn't that. Just remind yourself who you're talking about. George Lucas, especially those of you who grew up in the original trilogy era. This is a guy who the the entire industry of film and even television owes a great deal to. How do you replace that guy with one other person, even a J.J. Abrams, which a lot of us speculated that was going to be the case, that J.J. was the new George and that was going to be it and he was going to, you know, take on the franchise. You can't do it. And so you have to spread that out amongst a lot of different minds. Also, and I would agree with this, that perhaps one of the problems that George had with the prequels was that they weren't as collaborative of a process as Empire and Jedi were when he was dealing with different directors and was dealing with writers he was collaborating with, you know, in the case of Jedi, uh, Larry Kasdan. So unlike episodes one and two, yes, I know he had some help towards the end of two, but let's face it, two seems very similar to one and it's in the way that it's written. So does three, quite frankly. I think that the screenplays are very George in all, in all three of those cases. So you need collaborators for something like this. So I, I think it's all good. I think it's all good. I, I do. I think we should move on um, and talk about Harrison Ford. Surprise! He showed up at D23 when the cast of The Force Awakens uh, made their appearance. Harrison Ford, uh, a, a visibly, again, once again, a visibly emotional Harrison Ford uh, greeting the fans. And uh, here's, uh, we got an audio soundbite of Harrison as he uh, addresses the crowd there at D23. A free poster is always cool, but the, the weird thing for me is that there's one person in the poster who's not on stage. You want to see it? Ladies and gentlemen, Harrison Ford! I am delighted to be here now with uh, JJ and this wonderful cast and with Disney, who has supported uh, this... Uh, effort in a, in a really extraordinary way, and will continue to do so, I'm, uh, I'm quite sure. So it's a, it's a great thrill to be here with you, who made this whole thing happen, and I, I couldn't be happier. Thank you so much. Uh, Jim, did you ever think you would live to see the day where Harrison Ford thanked the fans for making it all happen? You know, that's great you, you, you bring that up, Jason, because it's more than just Harrison grabbing a microphone and filling time. I'm hearing something in his voice. I'm hearing emotion. I am hearing emotion from Harrison. Who knew? Ford. I mean, back in the old days, it'd be like, Star Wars. But now it's like he's really like, you know, he's projecting his 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 feelings toward the feedback he's getting from fans, which is great that he's gotten to that area in his life where he's comfortable with the legacy that he left behind and yet still have the privilege of being able to take that and propel it into the future, which is what he's going to do when he brings Han Solo back to the silver screens this December. It's so exciting to think about it. And it's not like really 
what he said there is important. It's just how he said it. And the fact that he is there saying it, there is a reason I want to play that audio on the show so we preserve it for the historical moment that it is. And we could go back and listen to this for years to come when Harrison finally came to terms with his Star Wars legacy. We are witnessing this stuff, folks, live and publicly. It's amazing to see. No, Jason, I never thought I would see this day. I am so thankful we're seeing this day. Harrison was always so famous in, you know, sweeping Star Wars underneath the carpet for years and years. He was comfortable with the Indiana Jones legacy. I'd play Indy in a New York minute. But Han Solo? His story went nowhere. You know, it was almost like he just... It just... It, 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 like it was embarrassing. Almost. It was almost embarrassing! Yeah. And you know yeah. what? You know what? For a while in his career, it was embarrassing to him. Just not the character himself, but the absurd situation of running around with the shaggy dog, as I believe Harrison would often refer to the icon Chewbacca. You know, it's 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 weird, man. It's weird unless you're actually in the shoes of the talent as they're going through it over the course of decades. It's a, a very personal and 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 very centralized situation for Harrison that no one else can really experience. You know, I mean, it, it, so it's funny to see human reactions to things and the way that people shift emotionally and personally and philosophically as they grow older. I know I'm not the same person I was 20 years ago and some hardline stances I had as a 20 year old are vastly different now when I'm in my mid-40s, and I expect the journey to continue. And I'm happy that Star Wars fans are giving Harrison all the room in the world he needs to sort of feel it all out. You know, I thought that Anthony Bresnikan, the, the Entertainment Weekly writer we spoke to last week, uh, just just nailed it. When he, when he gave the analogy of, you know, it's like when you, you, you graduate from high school, and you come back to your hometown. You don't want to go and hang out at the old high school haunts. You, you just not. You, you want to move on and do other things. But then you reach a certain age, where that tug of nostalgia and wanting to go back in time a little bit and being comfortable with going back. We don't know when that when that switch is. Maybe it's after you have kids. You know, who knows when it is? Maybe it's after your kids are out of the house and you realize that you got fewer days ahead than you did behind you. And all of a sudden you get pulled uh, back uh, by, you know, nostalgic feelings of your youth. I think that that is a great analogy. I think that very well may be what we're dealing with uh, with someone like Harrison Ford here. All right. Also, part of the uh, Force Awakens moment we'll call it, at the uh, D23, was a poster revealed. Now, when, I, when this first came out, I thought, oh, we're, this is the official one sheet. But it is not. This was something that was special uh, for many reasons, but it was special for the folks at the D23 event and special because it was created by Drew Struzan and a uh, longtime Star Wars artist and, of course, uh, just created so many iconic movie posters for major, major blockbuster films, including Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and Harry Potter, etc. Um, but uh, John Boyega, who's really, Jim, I think, becoming 
very much the face of this movie. He's the guy that they tend to give the microphone to to do the talking, and he sure does love talking to the fans. Uh, it's very clear, and it's also clear that the fans uh, love John Boyega. But here he is uh, introducing the poster um, that was revealed there at uh, D23. I know the fans of Star Wars. You know the name Drew Struzan. And uh, he's an amazing artist, and he designed all the posters for the Star Wars movies. And um, apparently he's designed an exclusive D23 poster. And... Uh, yeah. 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 I, you, know, you know what I'm going to just throw in there? I, I think you guys can get one each. I think you're all going to get one. Oh, he's got his Oprah moment. There <laughs> <laughs> There's John Boyega with his Oprah. Everybody's got one under their chair right now. <laughs> you get a poster, uh, and you get a poster, and you get a poster. <laughs> so the Drew Struzan poster, uh, one of the first things you notice is that uh, John Boyega's character, Finn, is holding a lightsaber. Yes. And uh, so after the event, uh, John was talking about uh, th- that lightsaber. Oh, wow. It felt very, very, very exciting. Uh, let's just say I know how to swing that thing like nobody can, you know, can see. It's, it's going to be really, really brilliant. I've been, I've been very, very appreciative of being in a moment where I've been given this opportunity to really, really continue the franchise with Daisy and alongside the new cast. So having that saber in my hand is a, is a, is a strong feeling. I tell you that makes you feel enlightened. Ooh. Wow. What a gr- I'm, I tell you what, this guy is really uh, coming across as... Fun, down to earth, classy—you uh, name it. I just—I think already becoming a, a, a heck of a, of a, as we call them, the ambassadors, uh, you know, to the fans of Star Wars. Um, I'm really—I th- I think we've got a lot of great things uh, that await us here with uh, with John Boyega's involvement in this in this franchise. Oh my God, Jason! Um, who doesn't love John Boyega at this point? And the enthusiasm shared by himself and Daisy is infectious and you get a real sense of the chemistry between the two of them. We know they spend considerable screen time with each other together during the film. So that is a very positive thing. I think casting is dead on so far, but let's not go too forward before we talk about this actual poster. I yeah. Let's tell break you, it down. Let's I, break uh, it down. I, uh, the reveal of this poster uh, is available on a video online. Uh, there, there's a few different versions of it. You know, there were various media outlets covering this event. But I watched this video, Jason, and it was kind of lost on me at Celebration Anaheim when we saw that second trailer. And it was a big deal, and people were crying when Han and Chewie were on the screen. I didn't really get that grip because I think maybe, you know, there was a lot on our, our, our plates at that moment. We were about ready to launch four straight days of hosting the behind the scenes stage for Lucasfilm at star Wars celebration. And it just was a lot to hand. There was a lot of star Wars hitting us upside the head at once. So I didn't find the emotion in the Han and Chewie moment. Like a lot of people did. And I felt bad for that after the fact. After people started telling me, 
Oh, man, I was crying in that, man. I was, and I saw that on the screen, man. I just started bawling like I was a two-year-old. And I was like, oh, no. I mean, why, why did I miss this? How come it didn't get me? It, I had a reaction to it, but I didn't have that emotional reaction like some people had. I got to be honest with you. When I watched the video of this poster reveal on YouTube, I had the emotional reaction. I, I, I missed it. I got misty. I was like, the waterworks. Wow. I, I couldn't believe it. I don't but, know what it was. It's just the power of the artistry of Drew Struzan and his connection with Star Wars films going all the way back to the beginning is something that might have had that that primal connection with my inner Star Wars fan. And it just it elicited this response. You know why it is, Jason? On the video, if you watch closely, they show the reveal of Finn holding the blue saber, which is clearly Luke Skywalker slash Anakin Skywalker saber. Absolutely. And you see Daisy, who just gets cuter and cuter by the moment. I mean, my God, she was just, she's so adorable. And then you see the silhouette of Kylo Ren in the background with the Starfield and the TIE Fighters and that crossguard black saber of his that's just spitting the the static electricity but the way they presented it was then on stage then they scrolled down and you got han solo you got harrison ford (laughs) circa 2015 Mm -hmm. and he's holding that familiar blaster and he's got that familiar look with the familiar hairstyle and he's wearing the jacket. And, I mean, it's just like, and there's a moisture evaporator in the background. And also, the lighting fixtures from Cloud City are very apparent behind him. Yes. I, now, yes. I, listen, I'm not jumping to conclusions thinking that. Right, but that, that, that Star Wars, you know, the oblong, I don't know what, to, there's got to be a name for it, but the, uh, the, the panels that you yeah, see. The, the orange lighting fixtures that you see yeah. in the floor. In the carbon freezing chamber in Cloud City. And then, of course, you see Drew Struzan's signature, his famous signature, right underneath Han's armpit, where he's, you know, he's holding up his blaster. And then you see the X-Wings in the distance flying in like a bunch of geese. And it's just uh, a lot of people have pointed out the fact that there are three suns visible in this image. I don't know if that is representative of anything in particular, but uh, uh, yes, three suns, three, <laughs> three suns, the the flock. I noticed the flock of X wings, and of course, then you have the gaggle of Tie Fighters on the other side, for sure. Uh, the Kylo Ren side. So you clearly have a light side, a dark side, and and there's Han uh, clearly on the light side. Um, Kylo Ren's very much by himself. No Captain Phasma, who would have probably worked. You know, balance-wise, you know, throw her down there. Um, but uh, Jim, you know, uh, let me let me tell you one thing that kind of numbed me to this. And I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't have. I had much more of an emotional reaction to the trailer than I did this, uh, and not because I don't appreciate it, because I do. But I gr- have grown numb to. Certainly not artists the caliber of Drew Struzan, but I've grown numb to artists over the years aging our beloved heroes on the cover of novels. 
Well, hey, you know, Drew Struzan did do a lot of novel covers. Oh, yes. Did he really? Yes, he did during the okay. uh, expanded universe. All right. Well, so maybe that's why. Uh, and so when this this image of Han looks to me like it could have been on any one of a number of expanded universe novelizations. So it, the, the moment was a little bit diluted for me because of that. Now, had I maybe seen... This is really splitting hairs, okay? I, the, the, thank God I'm on a Star Wars podcast. Oh, no, you know, Star Wars right. That's but, what but, we do, but, right? All right, but had the poster resolved down to the film credits and been more of a one-sheet. And I know that's not what this is. This is not a one-sheet. It's a promotional poster. It may have hit me more than a, you know, a, a really cool promotional image for the film. Um, but honestly, it, it, it really didn't. I think it's beautifully done. I think it's great that there's a, that, you know, that's Drew Struzan. Um, but I, it didn't hit me in that, in that same way. And now I feel bad about it. <laughs> See, now you're, it's the reverse of how I feel. Yeah, yeah now I feel I, yeah. bad about it. Well, you know what? It was just watching that video and getting that reveal. Keep in mind, when I watched the video itself, I had not yet seen the poster. Oh, okay. So I, it was like I was in the audience, you know? Right. I wasn't jaded by the internet. I was taking right. it in real time. And uh and and it hit me. It hit me hard, you know. It's kind of funny, Jason. I remember it was gosh, a couple of years ago we had Drew Struzan on the show. And you actually asked him about what it was like drawing Harrison Ford. I I remember there was a moment when you brought that up to him. So uh Oh, because he had draw- he's drawn Harrison Ford so many times. Right, right. And, and you brought that up to him. So I couldn't resist going back into the archives and pulling up the clip. So here, oh, here it is. Yeah, this is yeah. Drew, Drew Struzan talking to me and Jason back in June 2012. Drew, is it true that you have drawn Harrison Ford uh, more than any other actor? Um, yeah, in my career? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I would. Yeah, I would say so. I had great opportunity on at least two of the films between Star Wars and Indiana Jones. I've been drawing them for years and years and years. <laughs> and uh, so you're you're familiar very, with every wrinkle, every uh, every little hair, every uh, follicle, right? On on airs, and you've watched him, you know, age and mature, and uh, all the way up nasty. through. What's what's that? <laughs> that sounds nasty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and so here it is once again. <laughs> Drew Struzan, every hair, every follicle, every wrinkle, every chin scar, he's got it down. Keep in mind, yeah, because yeah. I don't want this to be lost on anyone. Drew had effectively retired from painting; he had moved on. He had. In fact, was- we were covering the the uh, development of the documentary about Drew Struzan, which was kind of a big bow on the end of his career. He was done. He. You know the book he, came out. I, I, you know what? We should re, re-release that interview we did with Drew because I listened to it a little bit today, and he's he's very progressive thinking. You know, he's always thinking forward. So it had to be a new Star Wars film that brought him out of retirement. And there had been a lot of speculation: Will Drew Struzan return to do the poster? And when people were speculating about that a few months ago, a, a 
couple of years ago, whatever, I was thinking to myself, who cares? You know, I, I only care about the new film. I don't care who's doing the poster, but my God, was I short-sighted in that line of thinking now that I see Drew's first artwork from The Force Awakens. Now I'm really feeling like this is really a Star Wars movie. I had grown so tired over the years of seeing so much Photoshopped garbage being created to pr- promote Star Wars. I'm uh-huh. sorry. I'm sorry. I have to say it. I'm staring. No, no, you're right. I'm you're sorry. Right. I, I'm staring at fresh Drew Struzan Star Wars art years after he had retired from this kind of work. And I'm, I'm looking at it right now, so I'm thinking back to some of the absolute dreck that supported the Episode 1 3D release. Mm. I mean, mm. even Clone Wars and Rebels. and I mean, you know, the, the Blu-ray release. Mm. Oh, my God. They, when I see the Drew Struzan artwork, it's so rich and powerful, and it, it, it evokes emotion out of me. None of that other stuff did over the years. And I'm sorry, I, I have to call it as I see it. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't thinking it at the time, but now I am because I'm looking at the quality of this artwork, and it's really, it's really bringing a lot of emotion out of me as far as my passion for Star Wars. And that's what quality artwork does, is it evokes that emotional passion out of you in relation to the subject matter and how it has an effect on you personally. That's what I get out of Drew Struzan's artwork. All right, let me ask you this. If this was the official movie poster with the credits and everything at the bottom, would would that have been okay with you? Or would you have gone, oh, I just expected it to look different, or I expected there to be more characters on it. Would would this have satisfied you as the official one sheet for the movie? All right, let me break down your question a little bit because there were a couple of different little sub-questions thrown in. Would this be acceptable for me? Yes. Would I think there is space to expand and present some more elements? Uh, Yeah, I think that's there too. I mean, I think this is a fabulous teaser poster made exclusively for a specific audience, and that was the D23 attendance. And uh, I, I think it's perfect for that. All it does is whet my appetite for what Drew has in store for us for the actual film release. Because you know... He doesn't just come out of retirement to do a poster for D23. He is locked and loaded for the big deal. And we are going to get that sucker, and it's going to be fantastic. So I'll tell you what this poster was. This poster was, he had, obviously, anyone's going to do, even, even the great Drew Struzan is probably going to have to do, or had to do, multiple versions, show them to the folks at Disney uh, who knows? Kathleen Kennedy, J.J. were probably all involved in choosing which one they wanted to go with finally for the official uh, movie poster. But it probably came down to two. Like, oh, we really like this one, too. This is great. We love, Drew, we love, we love both of these. We got to find a way to make the we got to get this one out to people, too. We got to find some way to be, get people to see this one also. So I, that's what I think. It was. I think this, we're looking at the runner up. Well, that you know what that could very well be in uh, classic Star Wars fashion, going back to the George Lucas era. Nothing gets thrown away, and uh, <laughs> but I mean, this is a work of art 
that evokes emotion out of me. It makes me respond passionately and does what all great teaser posters do, makes me want more. Indeed. All right. Uh, moving on, we've got so much more. We're going to have to split this up over a couple shows. There's yeah. just so much to talk about. Uh, let's talk about J.J. Abrams. After the, uh, the panel, he did uh, meet the press. And not the TV show, Meet the Press, but he met the press there at the D23, answered some questions. And uh, this first uh, audio soundbite we have is J.J. talking about Captain Phasma, a character that's definitely, I think, on a lot of people's mind, people curious about this uh, very, very powerful woman in the Star Wars universe. I can only say that Gwendolyn Christie is, uh, is my favorite. She, uh, she just killed it. And, you know, you, you think, well, what? It's wearing a costume, you know, but it's a lot to wear. And, and to have a performance when you're wearing that, it requires a different kind of skill set and an additional sort of talent. And she's got it. And it's an incredible thing to work with her. And I am glad that a character has been designed that is visually as stunning as that is because she deserves it and the, the fans do too. When I first saw that design, I, my mind was blown. It just it looks so undeniable. There you go. She's got it. My baby, she's got it. <laughs> Isn't that what JJ said? Uh, basically, that is what he said. I'm really looking forward to seeing Captain Phasma. I call her Captain. Captain? Captain Phasma. But I, I'm but really looking... Any relation to Captain Crunch? Uh, perhaps. Perhaps it depends on what kind of crunch she takes out of the resistance, which I think will be sizable in this film. I, I'm really oh, looking forward Jimmy to it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm the king of that. Whatever that is. Um, but I, I think that she's going to be uh, a fan favorite in the uh, tradition of Boba Fett and Darth Maul. I think uh, Captain Phasma is. You saw. Is she also going to die like a punk? Um, maybe (laughs) in the fine tradition, someone is going to, okay, Jason, I'll throw that at you. Who do you think is going to die like a punk in star Wars? The force awakens. If you could choose one character from the ones we've been exposed to, and we've been exposed to some major characters, who's going to die like a punk. Uh, Can I say that? I hope that it's Simon Pegg. Yes, you can say that, but Simon right, Pegg is not a character. I want a specific. Oh, character. all right, all right. Well, he's in the movie. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, I think Captain Phasma. I think Captain Phasma is probably the most obvious choice there. I, I can't say it's going to be Kylo Ren uh, because I think there's there's obviously a lot of uh, you know utility in that character. So I, I I think Captain Phasma fits the bill. I'll say Captain as well. Captain Phasma. So, yeah, I'll, I'll bite. Interesting, interesting. Early yeah. speculation on my part, and I've not made this speculation public yet, but it's in the exact opposite direction of what you're going in. I think Kylo Ren is going to die like a punk in this film. Well, maybe not like a punk, but he's definitely going to earn his death, and it will happen in this film. And there's reasons why I believe that. And uh, that's primarily because of the fact that I realize that they are looking for a new villain in episode eight. But um, I, I think Kylo right. Ren. I think Kylo Ren has a short shelf life. 
Yeah, well, you know, he's on all of the the merchandise, and that didn't bode well for Darth Maul. Put it that way. Exactly. All right, JJ, what about all this that people are talking about practical sets versus CGI? What's going on there? Obviously, it's it's Star Wars, and there are going to be thousands of CG shots in this movie. It's it's you know, but it was really important to us that wherever it didn't need to be, it wasn't. And it's incredible how much gets sort of uh, pushed off to sort of solve later. We'll shoot it on blue, and we'll figure it out later. We'll shoot it on green, and we'll sort of figure it out. You know, we'll make the set later. It was really important that for an, a set of a sense of authenticity that the the sets be built exterior interior that we go to real locations that were actually you know in the sun i know it sounds silly but in the behind the scenes reel you see this giant gimbal of the million falcon cockpit and it was outdoors and the reason we did it we didn't have to do that you know but the reason we really wanted to was you just can't fake sunlight and you can do a pretty good you know imitation but you can just tell and there was something about wanting to see Daisy's character actually sitting in the cockpit with sunlight, you know, streaking across in, in, in motion. And it's a little detail, and I'm not sure anyone's going to really care about that, but it's an incredible thing when you see it, just how much better it looks, because it's real. So we just tried to do that as much as we could, and it was often challenging, but it was worth it. Now, there has been some merchandise leaks that I think show that shot that he's talking about. Oh well, you know what? Daisy that... sitting in the cockpit. Oh yeah, of the Falcon with Chewie, no Han Solo. Just throwing it out there. With the sunrise coming, leaching in through the window. Well, Jason, we saw it in that behind-the-scenes reel they showed at San Diego Comic Con, and both you and me said on the show that we thought it looked like she was in the gun turret of the Falcon. And I, I don't th- think he's talking about that. Nah, I think he's talking that's about exactly else. what that's exactly what he's talking about. That very scene because a lot of people called this out on it and said, "No, no, 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 that was definitely the Falcon cockpit." I went back, I looked at the video, and I saw for myself. Oh yeah, that's a the Falcon cockpit. What are we thinking? I think it was just such a rapid fire shot, and uh, we hadn't analyzed it completely at that point, and we saw the movement, and it just led us to think. Definitely gun tour it. But so they have so they have poor Daisy up there. And they're spinning around just to get natural sunlight. And she gets out of that thing like she got off the tilt a whirl at six flags, you know. So don't think for a second that she isn't earning her paycheck. But um it's it's really crazy to think of the extremes that they're going to to capture what JJ has referred to over and over again is authenticity. And that's important when it comes to filmmaking on a blockbuster of this scale. It's so easy to turn it over to the computer guys. Hey, CGI, fix the lighting. But no, Abrams wants authenticity. And that's real important in his method of filmmaking. And I hope that is something that has an impact on the future of Star Wars filmmaking with all these other filmmakers who are sitting around that proverbial campfire. They're all taking that practical method, that authentic method, to create storytelling in a way that doesn't make it come off as artificial. What about Chewbacca, J.J.? 
you can't deny Chewbacca. So people were just constantly, whoever would sort of visit the set or be there, uh, even some extras were just like, before the day was over, they would kind of go over and, 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 and embrace Chewbacca. It was an ongoing thing, and, and you know, one of the casualties was like, patches of hair on the, on the suit. But it was a, I thought that was a good thing. A lot of hugging going on. A lot of Wookiee love. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, I cannot wait to talk to Peter Mayhew about this kind of stuff. Once the embargo is finally lifted off of Peter and he can talk, all I want to hear about are all the people who could not resist making physical contact with the 230-year-old Wookiee. I mean, that's every Wookiee's dream come true. So... (laughs) Everybody or every Wookiee? Yes, and I can't wait to hear the stories from Peter. I mean, he's got some good stories. He took some great stories back with him to Texas, and I can't wait to get him on the show and talk to him about it because anytime we talk to Peter Mayhew is always a good time. All right, so Oscar Isaac was also there at the press conference, and here he is talking about J.J.'s tone for The Force Awakens. You know, as, as any good artist, because he is, and he's an incredible artist, he... He knows it. He owns. A, you know. He he um. He's inspired by the original films. He's got Larry Kasdan. You know. He's got the original cast. But but um. But taking the mantle and doing our thing with it, and finding our language with it, and um. And I think he's done an incredible job uh, at at finding the not only the excitement but also the messiness of life with it. You know. So uh, so yeah. He he um. We, 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 it, it was con- everything was evoking the original film. So it's not like it had to be it had to be said. Yeah. Well, that comes as no surprise. We know that uh, J.J. set a standard uh, very early on in the production that he wanted these to match tonally to the originals. And uh, so it's, it's very clear based on Oz, uh, Oscar Isaac's comments that that was uh, definitely something that was carried through all the way through the production. All right. We have a brand new sponsor this week. We want to welcome them to the program. Casper. Casper Mattress. And this means a lot to me because I sleep on a Casper mattress. And I'll tell you why I do. Because we needed a new mattress. And I don't know about you, Jim, but if you've ever gone mattress shopping, it's a very bizarre, weird experience. <laughs> it's like looking for a car, only it's kind of worse because you're supposed to make this this critical decision about this piece of furniture that you're going to lay on for a third of your life in about five minutes. In about five minutes, try about... 50 seconds yeah nothing is more comforting than lying down on a mattress with your spouse in a public area as a salesperson stands over you kind of you know judging you as you do it it must be what it feels like to be in a love scene in a movie when you're laying in bed and everybody's watching you yeah but you get no you don't get the love you don't get the love i'll tell you what you do get you get an overpriced uncomfortable mattress most of the time but not with casper and let me tell you about this mattress again i've been sleeping on one for almost a year now and i bought it before they were ever a sponsor of uh, rebel force radio this is long-lasting supportive comfort one of a kind it's a hybrid mattress so you have the 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 premium latex foam with memory foam on top it's it's unbelievable and this this will blow your mind the mattress ships to you in a box it's 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 incredible. I in fact I took photos of this whole unboxing experience uh, because I couldn't believe it. I, I I got home from work and it was sitting 
on my front porch in this box. And, and they tell you, you got to take it inside the house, get it near where you want it. You undo this box. It's kind of like you think about a, a, a life raft comes oh, yeah. a little thing. You pull the string and, you know, it fills up. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. I, I, I can't say enough about them. The quality is great. And here's the thing. Remember, we said about five minutes in the store. How about 100 days? A hundred day money back guarantee, free delivery, free returns, a hundred day period. I mean, by after a hundred nights, you're going to know whether or not you like this mattress. It's the time you require in the fifty seconds to five minutes you're laying there in the mattress showroom with the creepy sales guy hovering over you. You're lying there with your wife and says, "Well, it feels pretty good. Feels better than standing." Now- <laughs> I, I mean, there's so much to love about this company. You, you got to check it out. And right now, we've got a special offer. You're, we're we're going to save you $50 towards the purchase of any mattress. Just go to casper.com slash RFR. That's casper.com slash RFR for Rebel Force Radio. Uh, you're going to be so glad that you did. That's awesome. And, you know, a lot of our listeners tell us, hey, we listen to uh, Rebel Force Radio as we're you know, drifting off for the night. And so, yeah, they make it a better experience all around. We'll sound better if you sleep better. So, <laughs> Rebel Force Radio, your source for the Force. Um, now, this is really no big surprise, but boy, is it sure nice to get it officially confirmed. Again, continuing our discussion of the D23 announcements. This is the big one, or a big one. Bob Iger announces Star Wars Land. At least that's what we're calling it. What does Bob call it? Well, we're bringing Star Wars to life in a big way, and I mean really big. We're creating a jaw-dropping new world that represents our largest single-themed land expansion ever. Now, we knew it needed to be big. We knew it needed to be great. And we knew it needed to be every bit as thrilling as the films are going to be. So we're going to transport guests to a whole new planet. The land will be real and authentic, and every encounter will bring more of the Star Wars story to life than ever before. This new 14-acre land will be occupied by many inhabitants, humanoids, aliens, and droids, all the diversity you might expect to find at a remote port one of the last stops before wild space. Every store and restaurant will be operated by local inhabitants, making each experience deeply immersive. Nothing in the land, nothing will be out of character or stray from mythology. And the land will have two fantastic signature attractions, including the ability to take the controls of one of the most recognizable ships in the galaxy, The Millennium Falcon. On a customized secret mission. And the epic Star Wars adventure that puts you right in the middle of a climactic battle between the First Order and the Resistance. Now, with these experiences, our guests will truly become part of their favorite Star Wars stories. It will be the first time our guests can immerse themselves in the real physical world that is Star Wars. And one more thing, we're not just building one of these. We're building two. One, Disney's Hollywood Studios in Orlando. 
and the other right here in Anaheim at Disneyland. Hey, Bob, what about Star Wars Weekends? Uh, hey, don't worry about Star Wars Weekends. Every day is going to be Star Wars. Yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> yeah, they don't need. That's probably why they haven't really been rushing to make that happen out in Anaheim, because uh, every day is going to be Star Wars Day. Forget about Star Wars Weekend, right? Um, but I, I don't know. I think that there might be. Um, you know, we'll get to. I think we have. We might have the story on the rundown where some of the experiences um, that are coming to the Disney parks that uh, in one particular will be a uh, seasonal experience, and that's uh, Hyperspace Mountain. Space Mountain going to become Hyperspace Mountain. Right. So there will be some seasonal um, happenings going on. So the, the Star Wars weekends might survive in some Oh, some my fashion. God. Listen, there's no question Star Wars weekends is going to survive, at least in my analysis of all the announcements being made at D23. Uh, there was a big um, announcement about something called Seasons of the Force or Season of the Force. I should be specific. Um, and that's going to be uh, just various different things happening around the Disney parks, specifically Disney's Hollywood Studios in Orlando and Disneyland in Anaheim, where you're going to be getting Star Wars themed exhibits, maybe restaurants. It's it experiences, experiences, photo yeah. opportunities with characters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's not going to be anything that's going to replace Star Wars weekends. Fans have been freaking out about this because they think that the season of the Force is going to wipe out Star Wars weekends. Industry insiders are referring to this as Star Wars weekends light. If you listen closely to the announcements about the um, the the parks, there was a, a panel all specifically about the future of Disney parks. And I'm sorry we don't have any audio from that because none was really made available to us. That was uh, at Rebel Force Radio standards, let's just say. But um, but uh, they did say in that panel that they are building off the success of Star Wars Weekends with Season of the Force. And so to me, when, when the executive says building off, the success just means it's going to be an expansion of the idea, not necessarily a replacement for Star Wars Weekends. Star Wars Weekends is a machine at this point, and it's expanded from you know three to four weekends to five, and it just keeps getting bigger and bolder and broader each and every year. And now with the Star Wars franchise firmly implanting itself into Disneyland and Disney's Hollywood Studios, most importantly, where Star Wars Weekends has always happened, the the profile of that event is only going to grow. So, Jason, God, I hope you finally make it out maybe one of these years. But, this year? Yeah, this year, 2016. This year, 2016. It's already done. Yeah, it's the, done. The wife, the, the, the wife is uh, making the, the, the plans. We're looking at our, our work schedules and everything. We're, we're going to make it happen All this right. year. Good. That's good. Bring in, bring in the whole family. We're going to do it up. 
So there, there you go. There's your official announcement to Rebel Force Radio listeners. If you've enjoyed joining us in the past for Disney Star Wars weekends, look forward to it in spring of 2016, the third annual Rebel Force Radio listener meetup. Lock and load. So <laughs> the whole Swank family's going to be there. All, the, all of Swank Nation <laughs> will be in attendance, and that will be awesome. Um, and a first. But and, um, and you will also put to bed the whole notion that nothing cool happens when Jason's around, or only cool things happen when Jason's. No, we'll not get down around. there and they'll cancel the whole thing. Star Wars weekends will be canceled because not only did I show up, but my whole family showed up. That so be Dave it. Filoni's world. That means that nothing good will happen. So this whole Star Wars land concept sounds yep. amazing, and so they're going to be putting it in at Disneyland in a spot that is clear across the park from where Star Tours currently is. I see no plans to move Star Tours, so you're going to be getting at Disneyland in addition to Star Tours, a whole other Star Wars land on the other side of the park. And that's going to be amazing, and they're going to be building the same thing at Disney's Hollywood Studios. It looks like it's based on the concept art we've seen. It's going to be a unique planet. We have a, a, a unique planet to the theme park. Never before seen planet. Which elicits a couple of reactions out of me. The first reaction is smart. Because the Star Wars films are going to be coming at us fast and furious over the course of the next decade and beyond. Who knows how many films we're going to be seeing who knows how many different planets we're going to be visiting and who knows what the iconic status of those environments are going to bring to star wars fandom so i think it's a smart move because it's always fresh it's a unique experience at the park alone and it will not get dated by any future film releases or appear to be dated by film releases that occurred prior, which leads me to my second thought, which is, damn, I thought when they were introducing the idea of Disney-themed lands at Star Wars parks, we would be able to go to those famous environments that we've known for almost 40 years. I'm talking about Tatooine and Moss Eisley or Luke's Homestead or Hoth or the Death Star or, well, maybe the Death Star could be incorporated into this new thing. That's not out of the question. But what about Yavin? What about Hoth, uh, uh, Dagobah? What about, you know, Bespin? All of these planets that we've known so well, I wanted to go there. That was my first thought as a Star Wars fan. Whoops. There you we turn go. on your reverb. No, I didn't mean to. I, I, I'm gesturing. My, you should see me. My hands are flying all over the place. But those were the places I wanted to go. Those places I knew and loved. Now we're just going to go to a Star Wars place. Sort of this generic Star Wars environment that will always be progressive because it doesn't get dated by any way, shape, or form by 
things that happened in the past or things that will happen in the future. It will be evergreen is what they say. You know, when they sit in those board meetings, well, you know, this planet that's just ours will be evergreen. <laughs> well, you know. So um, that's what that's they That's how say. they talk, too. Right? That is how they talk. Because <laughs> they got all the executives. Bunch there. of donuts in their mouth. But um, <laughs> so um, so that's that's just kind of like how I feel as both a fan and someone who sort of can approach this on a professional level and understand where the Disney Corporation is coming from. Regardless, I can't wait to go there. Okay, I can't wait. I'm dying to know when this thing's going to open. Now, if you listen very closely to Bob Iger's statements and any statement made by a Disney suit at D23, you'll you'll notice that they never really committed to an, a date where the where we can actually go there. So I did some digging around, you know, and, and, and what my insiders tell me is that no target date has been set at this point. At least it hasn't been made officially available publicly. They might be having, you know, some sort of internal target dates. But as far as what my insiders understand is that the Star Wars land as we're calling it, because Bob Iger never calls it Star Wars land. He just refers to it as a land, which is how they refer to you know, specific territories on the Disney Park properties. What my insider understands is that attractions in this land will open in phases. Okay, This is not confirmed, but this is just speculation from an insider. And the target date that's being whispered around and rumored is around 2018 target date for completion. The thing that might be presenting a little bit of a roadblock as far as the development of the star Wars lands is uh, at least in Orlando is the fact that they're developing this Pandora exhibit. That's going to go on in Disney's Animal Kingdom in Orlando, and that's, you know, part of the Avatar franchise, Pandora. So they're going to be milking that, and Disney is going to have a Pandora exhibit opening in Disney's Animal Kingdom in 2017. So that is something that also is, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily presenting a real roadblock into the completion of uh, Star Wars land, but it's definitely something that diverts the resources at Disney Imagineering and the you know natural resources of construction when it comes to these amusement park these theme park attractions is you know obviously they're going to be diverting some resources toward Avatar, which you know as a Star Wars fan I want to represent and just say you know screw Avatar. We want Star Wars Land now. Right. Sorry. Yeah. That was very unprofessional of me. Well, was, I, they're they're yeah. trying, you know, it, we've talked about it on this show before that, you know, the thing about Avatar is it just, it didn't stick. It didn't stick. And uh, I, don't know, I don't even think with two more movies it's going to stick, quite frankly. So, um, but for whatever reason, they're, they're placing their bets on Avatar for now. But, We'll see. We'll see. I just think they're. I think that's. Uh, they're just trying a little bit too hard. By they, I mean James Cameron and company to make something uh, that it isn't, for whatever reason. Um, 
you know, we had a uh, listener, and who it happens to be an artist, Kevin Lynch. He took a stab at kind of putting together what he believes <laughs> Lucas World or Star Wars Land uh, might just look like. And he put we posted it on our Facebook page, and it's uh, it's just gotten all kinds of praise and all kinds of hits. So uh, make sure you get over to the uh, Rebel Force Radio Facebook page and check it out. This amazing map that uh, Kevin Lynch created of, as he calls it, Lucas World, but a uh, perspective Star Wars land. And Jim, what Kevin's done, of course, here is what you talked about, which is give us all of these iconic places that we've dreamed about going to, Um, you know, whether it be uh, Hoth or the Death Star or uh, Endor or the Theed Palace uh, on uh, Naboo, uh, they're all there. They're all there in this wonderful illustration. Um, but uh, doesn't sound like what Bob Iger is describing, but we'll, <laughs> it's so we'll, we'll ambitious. It. It's so ambitious. I mean, they're talking about dedicating 14 acres of land to the future Star Wars land. And uh, <laughs> the thing that uh, our, our very ambitious friend artist kevin lynch uh devises easily something that's probably twice the size of disneyland itself <laughs> but i mean it is so amazing and i've yeah, seen great. you know jason we've seen in the past artists renditions of what a potential star wars theme park could look like but i gotta say kevin's is my all-time favorite it is so wonderfully thought out and detailed and uh the beautiful thing is, is is that Kevin sent it to us at the beginning of the month. And I knew if you listen to old Rebel Force Radio shows from the last few months, you'll realize that uh, it was no secret to us that the big park announcement was going to happen at D23. So when Kevin sent me this map, after drooling all over my keyboard, I said, dude, you have to show some restraint. Let's put it out there right when they make that announcement at D23 and see what kind of feedback it gets. And I think we broke Facebook. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was just so tremendous and the feedback is still just huge for Kevin Lynch's Lucas World concept. I'm so thrilled that we were able to provide him with that platform to let the masses see his incredible imagination at work it's really great maybe someday we'll be able to go there we'll see maybe maybe all right we've got one more story here about d23 and um that'll wrap up our coverage but uh george lucas was on hand he officially became a disney legend and was there in person to accept this uh, amazing honor and how appropriate as disney gets ready to put out its very first Star Wars movie after the acquisition that they uh, give this award to George. Uh, it might have been a little politics going on here, but who can argue with uh, the fact that uh, George deserves this? It, it's clearly um, not only did he in some ways, I think, uh, model uh, the Star Wars experience after uh, the experience and the feelings that he got as a young man by you know going to Disneyland in California there as he was growing up, uh, but many many of us have compared him to Walt Disney himself. So uh, here's a clip of George 
uh, receiving the Disney Legend Award. I've been really associated with Disney uh, for 60 years now. I started the second day the parks opened. I was here, and I've been here every year since. And then in Florida, and then in Paris, and then in Tokyo, and uh, look forward to Shanghai. Um, and uh, Disney has always given me a great, great deal of inspiration. A lot of what I do came out of the joy, the awe, the experience I had uh, in the movies, on television, and in the parks. And uh, that's what I was trying to pass on with my work, was to inspire and uh, make people have funny thoughts uh, and think that they can do anything. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you uh, how much of an influence Disney has been on me. Um, I will say one secret that nobody knows, uh, but this may get you in trouble. So, and that really scares me when I say things like that. Uh, but um, not very many people realize that uh, Goofy was the inspiration for Jar Jar Binks. Uh, I know you'll look at him differently now. It's pretty obvious, actually. But uh, uh, I love Goofy, and uh, uh, I love Jar Jar Binks. And, uh, no, Jar Jar getting a little bit of applause there. Uh, and and uh, I don't know if George, you know, George, I think, is, is halfway serious there. Oh, yeah. He, he got a huge laugh out of that one. And he was probably up there like, why is everyone laughing? <laughs> but I love George. He's, he's not ever going to let go of the oh. things that his gut tells him he should like. And I appreciate someone like that. So I do, uh, I do know, too. I and mean, I also think that, you know, George is probably not immune to uh, the street talk about perhaps Disney running away from the prequel era and the characters of the prequel trilogy. And so <laughs> what better way to firmly cement uh, his prequels uh, into the DNA of Disney than looking at a core character like <laughs> <laughs> like Goofy. Right. And forever, well, <laughs> you know, matching that with uh, Jar Jar, Jar who's, of course, the, the poster child for everything people didn't like about the prequels. Yeah, brilliant move by George. Well, Lincoln. it Absolutely is. Brilliant. It is. And he shows his true colors, too. He stands up there and, and, and really, you know what? He takes ownership and he takes responsibility and he takes accountability when he stands up there. All these years later, after all the derision, unfounded derision, I'll say, that's my opinion. It's a character created for children. And whether or not you have some kind of bias against Jar Jar Binks and you project all kind of nasty sort of reputation onto his character that he created. This is something that came out of his imagination. He'll still stand up there and say, you know what? I like that character. And that speaks volumes about George, how he stands up for what he believes in and trusts his gut. And 
whether you think George Lucas was right or wrong about the direction he took Jar Jar Binks in, still to this day, he looks back at that character with a sense of pride and will do so publicly as he accepts the highest honor that the Disney Corporation can bestow on him. And he will gladly accept it. And as a fan, I love it. Because George will always be that rebel. And if you tell him he's wrong, he's going to push harder and harder for his direction. And whether, you know, whether you believe in it or not, you have to respect the fact that the guy believes in himself. All right. One more soundbite here from George Lucas accepting his Disney Legend Award. I'm very happy uh, that after all these years of, you know, pushing to get more and more Star Wars and Indiana Jones into the parks. The only way I could think of to do it was to get Bob to buy the company. (laughs) So there you go. He had a plan all along. He wanted a Star Wars park, but he couldn't do it himself. So he got Bob to buy the company. And buy it he did, and Star Wars Land, as Jimmy, uh, as his sources are telling him, wrapped up by 2018, but perhaps rolled out over the years, uh, which I think makes a lot of sense. All right, so uh, we got another sponsor here we do want to thank. The Topps Star Wars card trader app from Topps Digital. Jim, I know you're a big fan. Oh, huge fan. Uh, Just recently, they wrapped up their 1977 reissue of Series 1 of the Vintage Star Wars cards. And I am really looking forward to seeing what their next reissue is. In the meantime, there are plenty of fun inserts to be collecting and all sort of different packs to be opening. You can get on board absolutely free if you have access to a smartphone and the Tops Star Wars Card Trader app. It costs nothing to get on board. That's right. It's all new digital card collecting the Star Wars way with the Top Star Wars Card Trader app. For the first time ever, you can collect and trade everything from those legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring very exclusive content from Star Wars The Force Awakens and much more. And you get it all from the comfort of your mobile device. It's the Star Wars Card Trader app from Tops. These are the cards you're looking for. All right, if you've been following along StarWars.com, and by the way, i got to give a lot of credit to uh, the, that team over there. That, that site has, uh, the latest iteration of the site, I think, is, is really, really great. I, I love the, uh, the app. I love that I got... The breaking news of what was happening at D23 on the app and got the alert and was able to get on there, check the news out, and share it with uh, uh, Rebel Force Radio listeners uh, through our Facebook page. It was just fantastic. So hats off to them. They've been doing uh, these uh, um, top tens. They had one recently where they were counting down the best sidekicks. Yeah, Jason, what we have here is this kind of, it's a regular feature they do on StarWars.com featuring the lovely Andy Gutierrez, who is a big fan of Mark Hamill's beard. Wink, wink. And uh, Andy hosts these uh, really great little video uh, packages, and it's called Star Wars Top Ten. So this time around, they featured the top ten sidekicks from the Star Wars saga. 
And, um, well, you know, he, he ranked at number 10, but we're really happy he even made the starting field to begin with. Check this out. Welcome to the StarWars.com 10, a feature where the StarWars.com editorial staff huddles to discuss, in committee, various topics relating to a galaxy far, far away. In this installment, we're picking the galaxy's greatest companions, from daring droids to plucky pilots, but no Jedi or Sith apprentices. We figure, if you're strong with the Force, you don't want to be called a sidekick. For this list, we're focusing on sidekicks from the Star Wars films, Star Wars The Clone Wars, and Star Wars Rebels, ranking them on personality, loyalty, and impact. He's honest. He's loyal. He's so wizard. Kicking off our list is Kitster, young Anakin Skywalker's best friend. Kitster is never far from the Jedi to be, serving on Anakin's pod racing pit crew and supporting the Chosen One no matter what. Let it be known, Kitster is cool. Yeah, baby. Yeah. She says it loud and she says it proud. Kitster is cool. Kitster. Jim, you've been waiting since 1999 for validation of your love of Kitster. Oh, believe me, I don't think that uh, this uh, entry in the StarWars.com is coincidence. I think it definitely (laughs) is something that has come under the influence, the vast influence of the mighty Rebel Force Radio over the years. Please, people are chanting, where's Kitster at Star Wars celebrations going back to Celebration 5? I mean, this is more than a meme. It's a movement, and we are so proud to have carried the Kitster mantle all these years. And now it's being recognized officially by StarWars.com. If you notice, whenever StarWars.com posts something under their byline, it's always a picture of Kitster. That is not a coincidence. <laughs> I have not picked up that on that. That is I have not, not picked up on that. It is Kitster. It's not a coincidence, okay? I know, you know, Matt Martin, he's over there. He, he's he got his, his ear to the ground. He hears the Kitster movement growing. He feels the power of Kitster stomping on his back door. Well, maybe not that much, but but you know what? I think the lovely Andy Gutierrez herself says it loud and proud when she says, Kitster is cool. There's this whole movement now starting, the Where's Kitster movement. This is so wizarding. Where's Kitster? How do you get so lucky? Kitster. Finish the race, of course. Do you know who Kitster is? No. That's all right. Where is Kitster? Where's Kitster? Kitster is cool. So much news, so little time. We're going to have to do four-hour shows to get it all in. Uh, That's why we're here just about each and every week, because there's just so much to talk about. And uh, it's not really Star Wars news until you hear what we have to say, right? Here at Rebel Force Radio. Uh, Big, big thanks to our brand new sponsor this week, Casper. The folks at Casper, the fine mattresses, go to Casper.com. Dot com slash RFR. Also want to thank Little Debbie Snack Cakes, the folks at Tops Digital and their wonderful Star Wars card trader app. And uh, as always, our good pals at Dorkside Toys, 
it's going to be a lot of new releases coming out. And uh, you're going to be going crazy, going from store to store, door to door. Go out. I'll tell you what. Go out. Do your Midnight Madness. Get as much as you can. And then you're going to be able to, you're going to need to fill in those gaps, those holes. So I tell you what will happen. You're going to be swimming in Kylo Ren figures. When that <laughs> second wave of figures comes out and you want your Han and your Luke and your Leia from The Force Awakens, you're going to be going to Dorkside Toys. Because there won't be any room on the shelves for that new stuff. Mark my words, Dorkside Toys, you're gonna want you're gonna need them after Force Friday. And they're good friends of us here at Rebel Force Radio. Uh, please email us, show at rebelforceradio.com. That's show at rebelforceradio.com. Voicemail line 708-320-1737, 708-320-1RFR. You can find us on Twitter at Rebel Force Radio, at Jimmy Mac Radio, at Jason Swank. We're also on Facebook. Just search for Rebel Force Radio and the official website for all things and everything. Rebel Force Radio. Just throw a .com there at the end. RebelForceRadio.com. We are a podcast, and we do love iTunes. That's where you can download and listen and review just about each and every show we do. Just one rule for those reviews. Make it good. And please, please support our friends at Rancho Obi-Wan. They're officially recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records. Going back to 2014, they are a nonprofit museum. And they house the world's largest collection of Star Wars memorabilia. Steve Sansweet is the uh, he's the guy over there. So please support them. Visit Rancho Obi-Wan. Become a member. Go to their website, RanchoObiWan.org. Get more information and uh, sign up today. You can listen to Rebel Force Radio on WGNplus.com. You can find us on Stitcher and just about anywhere else. You can download podcasts. They call them podcatchers. If you're a mobile device, I remember the day when it was just iTunes. That's all you could do. We've been at this a long time. Yeah. Now you can just get in your car, turn on the Bluetooth, go to the website or... Speaking of websites, JediNews.co.uk, Yodasnews.com, Sandtroopers.com, the official Star Wars website, StarWars.com. You can find us on all those places. We thank them very much of their recognition of what we do here. Also, you can hear Rebel Force Radio Saturday night, 7 p.m. at SRSounds.com. little streaming radio action there, SRSounds.com. Com. All right, that's going to do it for us. We'll see you next time. Lots more to talk about. But until then, we love you so much. Be back with us next time. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mag. And remember, the Force will be with you always. Hitster is cool.